This is a WKYT podcast. Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant and we welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers. How is uncertainty about the direction of the country playing into investments and how should you be preparing financially for the holidays in this very unusual year? Finance expert Jason Smith will be joining us a little bit later with some answers to those questions. But first, Kentucky's historic election is in the books. Not official, but it's over. More than two million people voted in the Commonwealth and the turnout was just under 60%, the highest turnout since 2008. Due to concerns about COVID-19 and an emergency declaration, the election was done in a very different way this year. It included early absentee and walk-in voting. We heard repeatedly that voters liked their options, but will that continue going forward? Republican Kentucky Secretary of State Michael Adams worked out the election procedures with Democratic Governor Andy Beshear. And the Secretary of State joins us this morning on Kentucky Newsmakers. Thank you very much uh, for being with us. We appreciate it very much. Thanks, Bill. Great to be back. It's been a very busy week. Uh, first of all, how do you think the election went as far as the way it was conducted here in Kentucky? Well, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't be happier that voters felt confident that our system was fair and, and legitimate, uh, that they found it very convenient to vote this time. And they came out and they set a record. We've never had over 2 million voters vote in one election in Kentucky before, and we set the record. And we did so in a pandemic. That's pretty remarkable. When you watch uh, these other states uh, having issues and, uh, you know, the, the, the ballot counting that is going on and people demanding to be uh, observers of that process and so forth, uh, do you think, well, uh, them, oh, I'm glad it's not us in that situation? Well, certainly I, I am, uh, but it's not an accident. Uh, we actually, I think, had a better plan here in Kentucky to avoid these problems with regard to observers, uh, with regard to a prompt count of our ballots. Uh, we spotted these issues well in advance and, and uh, made accommodations to make sure that we'd have a good election and I'm really proud of that. Turnout did not uh, hit the 70% uh, that you had projected at one point because you were seeing such strong numbers uh, coming in early. Uh, is that a result of uh, not as many people coming to the polls on election day itself uh, that you may have anticipated? Well it's a tricky business trying to project a turnout in an environment like this. Uh, normally, it's it's fairly easy. Uh, historically, 2% of our votes have been absentee. You just multiply that times 50, and there's your total turnout. Uh, but with an expanded absentee this year for COVID, uh, obviously, we couldn't uh, rely off of that. But I'm still proud that we had a record number of Kentuckians vote, and I think it's partly due to uh, emotions uh, in both sides. Uh, right now, you're seeing that across the country, uh, but also because we made it so much easier to vote than it's ever been before. Yeah, Mr. Secretary, in your heart of hearts, do you believe that it was the convenience of voting or was it the set of issues and the, the, the drama in this country and the divisions that we see that drove uh, people to the polls in big numbers this year? It was both. Uh, I feel pretty confident telling you there's no way we could have handled one and a half million people voting in one day uh, in a 12-hour span. Not this year. It just would have been impossible. We would have had people in line until the wee hours of the morning. So there's, there's no question that allowing people to vote over 19 days versus one day helped the turnout. Uh, but I won't take credit for all of it. Clearly, you're seeing high turnout in other states. Uh, this is just a, a time that the two sides are really motivated to get their votes out. 
So as we watch, and, and, and I know you don't want to comment on other states, but just the fact that each state has its own set of rules is kind of interesting. I mean, is that because of the fact that uh, it just sort of came together over time and uh, uh, however it developed in, in a particular state and region is, is how it is largely still done? Yeah, I'm a big believer in federalism. I like the fact that the Constitution, uh, the default under our federal Constitution is the states make their own election laws. I think it's appropriate that California makes their decisions and we make ours here in Kentucky. I, I don't want Congress to come in and tell us how to run our elections. And so they actually deserve quite a bit of credit. Uh, Congress does for giving us funds to make possible the accommodations that we had, but not telling us how to run our own elections. I like federalism. You know, for generations, uh, Kentuckians uh, have been uh, used to having to vote within that 12-hour period, that 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. on a weekday, a Tuesday, or, or swearing under penalty of law, some acceptable excuse for uh, asking for an absentee ballot. Do you see things changing now that the genie is out of the bottle on how this can be done and the fact that a lot of people have expressed uh, that they enjoyed the convenience? Well, it's too soon to say. I've got some conversations to have with legislative leadership over the next several weeks to see what kind of package we might be able to get through the legislature. I want to temper expectations. I think the governor would have an easier time getting expanded vetting through the legislature than I would getting expanded voting. It's a tough lift, uh, but I think it's certainly easier today than it would have been a week ago now that Republicans did so well. Uh, it showed that it doesn't hurt uh, or help a party to make it easier to vote. It, it just helps the voters. And we got to put them first in any event. And that's where I was going to go. You know, your own party has largely been uh, the one in opposition to expanded options, but uh, Republicans uh, did historically well in this uh, week's election using these methods. So does that does make it easier for you to approach them about uh, potential changes? I think so. I, I, I don't think... Uh, what we're doing in our state is not stuff that's brand new. It is to us, but I looked at these ideas from seeing what other states had done successfully. Uh, we've got neighboring states that are even more Republican than we are that have had early voting for a decade or longer. West Virginia and Tennessee and Ohio and Indiana, they've got, uh, they've made it much easier to vote than we have here in Kentucky. Our election models based in the 1800s. And so I felt confident that we could have a system that was safe uh, but also wouldn't discriminate against either party, and I think we proved that on Tuesday. Do you make the case that uh, then that would be a, a modernization effort if uh, Kentucky were to uh, uh, to make uh, more wide open options? Yeah, I think so. You think of all the things that Kentuckians, uh, Kentucky is 47th or 48th in. We're finally number one in something. We're number one in elections, and I hate to give that up. I'd like to keep not everything that we did, because obviously you don't need three weeks to vote in every election. Uh, you don't need uh, all the expense of expanded absentee for every election. There's no need to vote remotely in future cycles the way we had this time. But I'd like to keep some of this, uh, certainly like the absentee ballot request portal and the cure process, in at least a few days of early voting. If you look at the early voting, it was it was light, steady, but light the first two and a half weeks. And then it really picked up the Friday, Saturday, and Monday before election day. That's what I'd like to see is it maybe keep those three days uh, add those uh, days for in-person voting. So we can keep the expense down, but also spread the turnout. It also means you need fewer poll workers. If you're able to have more days of voting in fewer locations, you need fewer poll workers. And that's still a big problem that we're gonna be facing over this decade is having enough poll workers. 
What are the county clerks telling you about this? They they have to conduct those elections in in all 120 counties, and the, and and they uh, ran this election under your direction. Uh, what do, what's the feedback? Well, I'll tell you that I, I surveyed them all uh, back after the primary, and I asked, "What do you think we should do for the general?" And half of them said, "Don't do the absentee." Half said, "Do the absentee." But they all, every one of them, said, "Keep the early voting. We like it, and the voters like it." I've gotten lots of positive feedback from the clerks since Tuesday. They want early voting. They want to keep it even though it's more work for them. They like it. Their voters like it. I've also gotten lots of positive feedback from county officials, Republicans and Democrats. This is really, I think, a bipartisan thing. Making it easier to vote is just better for the voters. So Kentucky's uh, uh, election wasn't close, at least at the top of the ticket. We do have some close uh, local contests. Uh, uh, but where it was in these other states, uh, Mr. Secretary, we have seen uh, late arriving ballots and now, uh, you know, uh, court proceedings over that and a long counting process that is underway. Um, if we do go forward with this, do we invite some of that in these close elections if we move forward with the loosening voter restrictions? No, I don't think so. There's a big difference between how you make it convenient for people to vote and then what your counting process looks like. We didn't make the mistake that some other states have made of delaying their processing. Uh, Pennsylvania, for example, uh, they uh, they have uh, allowed for ballots to come in that are not postmarked after the election and count those. Uh, they, they've done some things that I, I don't agree with, but there's a big difference between the, the processing part and the voting part. I think you can take the best of what we did. We had a fast count and expanded access. You don't have to have days and days to count your votes just because you expand access. We proved that. Do you see yourself uh, then uh, uh, getting together what you uh, consider the best of out of what happened uh, this year and going to a lawmaker or two and trying to get them to sponsor a bill and move forward with this uh, in, in the legislative session? Yeah, I, I certainly intend to offer something. Uh, how big it is and how, how uh, controversial it is, I think, is left to be seen. Uh, I don't intend to submit to them something that they don't want to pass. Uh, I'm not going to try to shame them or anything like that. I respect their authority. I'm grateful to them that they gave me the emergency powers to make this election successful. Uh, they deserve a lot of credit, too. Uh, so I want to have conversations with them. I will tell you, I've spoken with several important legislators, including a committee chairman, who really like early voting and want to keep it. Uh, so I think it's got... It's, it's a tough lift, but it's got a real shot at getting through. This is a civics question for you, and you're an election law attorney before you uh, became Secretary of State. Does your office have a role in Kentucky's uh, electors uh, who will be officially uh, doing the presidential vote in December? We don't have an official role other than we receive uh, elector nominations uh, from all the candidates. And then, of course, whoever carries the state, their electors become the electors. And then we actually hold a, a ceremony in the Capitol in mid-December, and we'll be putting that together here uh, shortly. Hopefully, it'll go forward as normal. Obviously, COVID's an issue, but we'll make allowances uh, for that. But that's about the extent of our role in that. Yeah. And for people who don't know, uh, so there are two sets of electors uh, who have been chosen. And now, since Donald Trump carried Kentucky, it will be those electors who will be making that vote, right? That's, that's right. I don't pick them. Uh, every candidate who's on the ballot gets to pick electors, the Libertarian did, and so forth. So we had, I think, five sets. Uh, this time we had five candidates on the ballot. But the folks that are submitted to us by the Republican Party will be the ones who will get to cast the electoral votes on December 14th.
Let me ask you to put your uh, political hat on just for a moment, and I know you're sitting there in your official office, but uh, Kentucky's uh, urban-rural divide is deep and obvious, and uh, uh, the largest uh, cities going Democratic, uh, the rural areas mostly uh, ruby red out there. I, I know you're originally from Western Kentucky, uh, lived in Louisville and, and, and work in Frankfurt. So do you see that trend going forward or what, what do you, does Kentucky ever, uh, you know, get back in some balance in some way in that regard? Well, I think it sort of depends on, on what happens with the presidential contest and, and if the president's not successful, uh, what, what the Republican Party looks like going forward. What you've seen in Kentucky the last, even just the last couple of years is what you're talking about, uh, a rural division between urban and rural. And the urban areas are getting more Democratic, and Republican areas are getting the rural areas more Republican. To give you an example: in 2015, uh, Ryan Quarles uh, won Jefferson County, and in 2019, he got uh, blown out. I got 32 percent of the vote. I got killed there. It used to be Republicans won Jefferson County, or at least did uh, pretty well there. And what you're seeing in in Kentucky is what you're seeing around the country. The suburbs have gotten more Democratic and the rural areas uh, more Republican. So I think what you're seeing in Kentucky is not unique to Kentucky. It's a national thing that's happening in the context of, of uh, the current national politics. And if those politics change, then I think they'll change here in Kentucky and you might see Republicans uh, do better in urban areas. Uh, I think it's pretty important to note that Republicans actually did pretty well in Jefferson County and in Fayette County and in some of these state legislative races. Early in my career, there was literally an election every six months in Kentucky because you had every year an election and a primary. So, you know, you were never out of that cycle. Now, we do get to take uh, 2021 off from regularly scheduled elections, right? Yes, thank goodness. Uh, no elections in 2021. I'm very relieved to tell you that. How do you uh, uh, keep uh, the, the public uh, engaged and involved? How would you uh, say that uh, the Kentuckians uh, should remain, uh, you know, able to educate themselves about the process as we go toward the next uh, set of elections, which will be 2022? Well, Kentuckians love politics. I think we always have. I, I don't think there will be any lack of interest. Uh, but there's other stuff our office does. We're also the chief business office, and so I want to look at what reforms I can bring on the business side as well. But the last thing I'm worried about is Kentuckians losing interest in politics. <laughs> Probably a very good answer to that. Mr. Secretary, thank you very much. And again, uh, it, it has been very interesting to watch all the hard work that has gone into uh, what looks to be uh, a well-conducted Kentucky election with a lot of participation. We appreciate you being with us. Thanks so much. And we hope you'll stay with us. We'll be back with some financial advice as this very unusual year rolls on toward the holidays. Kentucky Newsmakers will continue. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. A little bit later on, some lighter notes from this election year. But what a year this has been, from coronavirus to all the election drama. As you now plan your holiday celebrations, those will have to be much different, too. We talked to Josh Smith of Strategic Wealth Designers for some financial advice in this uncertain time. Josh, you're mentioning that really the thing that investors really need to be watchful of right now is what's happening with the virus as we see the case numbers go up in this country and certainly in Europe. Uh, at this point, what, what can you tell people about how that may impact the economy? Well, I think the concern that a lot of investors have is if the government reaction were to be a second set of shutdowns, um, even week after week, we're seeing high record high unemployment numbers. 
Um, and I feel like that's just a continuation of the first shutdown we had earlier this year that was supposed to, um, you know, mitigate some of the pressure on the hospitals. Um, if there would be a second wave of, of shutdowns throughout our country, um, I, we're already seeing it. I know earlier this week, two large uh, commercial real estate firms filed for bankruptcy. A week prior to that, a couple large movie theater chains uh, filed for bankruptcy themselves. So I think the concern um, for the overall health of the economy is that if we were to shut down for a second time to seize up that economic activity is what might be the unintended calamity uh, uh, you know, for those other companies that are out there that are on the brink today, might that push them over the edge and therefore push more and more people um, onto the unemployment lines. And while that is worst case scenario, uh, don't you also have the fact that uh, some people simply aren't doing things that they would even if uh, businesses are open uh, for business? Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, I've heard about it within my own family members. Even though certain things are open, uh, there's still a level of, of concern for health and safety. Um, not to mention, you know, some people see the mask as an inconvenience, so uh, they may not participate in what we'll call social activities, going out to restaurants and bars like they normally would, um, just because of. Uh, you know, the, the overall threat of the virus, as well as for some folks, it's just, um, you know, you know, the inconvenience and maybe they just don't feel like is is it's as fun as it once was to go out. As we approach the end of the year and the, certainly the holiday season and what has been a very difficult year economically for some, how do people uh, tailor uh, their budgets, uh, you know, where they may be uh, to the approach of the holiday season? I mean, this year it's, it's, it's bound to be more challenging than most normal years, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, you know, I think the first thing is despite everything that's here, I always uh, encourage people to be thankful for what they do have, not for what they don't have. I mean, we are very fortunate in the country. This country, we're still one of the wealthiest in the, wor uh, in the world. So be thankful for what it is that you do have. And if this year has been a little bit of challenge for you financially, um, I always am a fan of setting yourself a budget, a realistic budget about what you can spend on the holidays. And for many of your family members, don't necessarily, um, you know, believe necessarily it has to be financial. Um, 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 gift in some ways. Um, I know my myself. My uh, uh, I've got young kids at home, so I'm asking my parents to babysit a little bit more. Uh, maybe not buy those financial gifts. So, um, but really, just set aside a, a strong budget for yourself and try to stick to that plan as best you can. I think sometimes the holidays we get a little bit out of hand, and whether you spend you know ten, fifteen, twenty dollars on an individual or 40 or 50, just make sure we have a lot of thought into the gift and not, not so much worried about the dollar amount of that gift we're giving to someone else. Yeah, and that babysitting is a good gift. <laughs> it absolutely uh, is. Josh Smith from Strategic Wealth Designers, thank you so much for talking with us. We appreciate it. All right, thank you, Bill. And stay with us. We'll be back on WKYT's Kentucky Newsmakers.
We welcome you back to Kentucky Newsmakers here on WKYT. We're glad you're here. Whitney Houston was right. The children really are our future here in Kentucky. 17-year-old Landon Stadnick has been elected to the Scott County Soil and Conservation Department. He's going to be on the commission there. His win makes him the youngest elected official in the state. And because he's just 17, he couldn't even vote for himself. So that is a, certainly quite an accomplishment for him. Uh, congratulations. It'll be interesting the perspective uh, that he brings to the Conservation Board uh, there in Scott County. We'll be following his political future. And by the way, there's a more extended story available about Landon on WKYT.com if you want to hear from him. And uh, after a week of election tension in America, a lighter note as we end things today on Kentucky Newsmakers, Wilbur wins the mayor's race in Rabbit Hash in northern Kentucky. Now, Wilbur is a dog, a French bulldog, who they think will be a doggone good mayor up there. And Bobby Kaiser is organizer of the charitable event and the big election up there in Rabbit Hash. And Bobby's joining us. Thank you very much uh, for coming on. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Well, tell us about the election results up there. Was it uh, close? Um, no, it was a major landslide for Wilbur. He brought in a total of $13,143. Um, the next highest vote total was not even quite 3000 Wow, so it, it is a landslide. We have uh, Wilbur up on the screen right now. Uh, is uh, He uh, campaigned hard, evidently, for this and unseated an incumbent, right? And yes, he did. And who was mayor it? Brenneth, yeah, yeah Brenneth Paltrow has been the mayor for the past four years. Um, she did a great job, but Wilbur wound up basically sandbagging about 7,000 corporate votes at the very last minute. So there was no margin for error in the uh, count. Well, Bobby Wilbur obviously had this uh, big landslide victory, but there were some uh, tough contenders in that in that race for mayor of Rabbit Hash, weren't there? Who were some of the others who ran? There was a beagle named Jack Rabbit, who is a certified therapy dog that came in second. Um, the store's owner, the Rabbit Hash General Store's owner, owner's dog, Poppy, came in high in the, in the election. Those were both appointed first and second ambassadors to Rabbit Hash. We had a huge brindle colored dog named Diesel. I cannot remember his, what breed he is right now. Um, but I think there were a total of 13 dogs, a dead cat, one human and a rooster all ran for wow. mayor of Rabbit Hash. And, and Wilbur takes it all. So, uh, yeah. uh, and you know, this is all a lot of fun, obviously, uh, but uh, you raise money for charity, and uh, how will that help? Well, Rabbit Hash is an unincorporated part of Boone County, Kentucky. Um, <clears throat> the Rabbit Hash Historical Society is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we're non-backed. We have to come up with our own money for everything. We own the town, the land, and the buildings of Rabbit Hash, Kentucky, and as, as its owners, we are responsible for every expense. And, and they're pretty big. When you're talking a 200-year-old wooden town on a riverbank, things, they, they age, they fall apart. So the money will go for the upkeep of the old buildings in Rabbit Hash. It'll go for taxes, electric, um, basically whatever we need funding for this fundraiser 
provides the money for. And because you want to keep it uh, in good repair, because you love for visitors to come uh, and visit there, and they do, right? Oh, in droves. In, during the week, it's fairly slow. Um, if you come there on a nice sunny Sunday afternoon or, or Saturday afternoon, there's probably going to be 200, 250 visitors milling about. So when you have a, an event uh, like this, uh, give other communities a little hint. I mean, this, this got attention all over the country. <laughs> Would you encourage other communities that are, you know, trying to uh, make a name for themselves to, to come up with something novel like uh, a mayor's race uh, among animals? Something novel, yes. I wouldn't necessarily suggest our method of raising right. money because we want to keep that attention, you know, for obvious reasons. Um, but yeah, this is a, it's an amazing fun way to, to bring your community together. And yet this year, you have a sense because of all the attention and questions you got about this, that all over the country, people kind of needed something a little light in, in this dramatic uh, year we've all experienced, right? Yes, yes. I think that uh, COVID could actually be stated to have helped our situation this year because people are just so tired and bored of being in the house. And then you throw the contentious thing they're doing in Washington on top of it. And uh, yeah, people really, really need a feel good story right now. And tell us some of the coverage you got. I know uh, over the years, really, you've uh, you've you've been on uh, even oh network TV, right? Yeah, they um, there's been a TV show on Animal Planet that featured our second mayor, Junior. Um, there is a full length documentary out there about the first election of Junior. Um, this year, we've been on NBC and Newsweek, and there was even an article in in. Um, I don't know, across across the ocean, mm -hmm. there's been several. Uh, the UK wants to feature the new mayor in a BMW. Oh, um, all right. <laughs> yeah, we were on uh, Good Morning America with Bill Geist at one point. We've yeah. had a lot of really good, positive attention over the years. So is the, uh, the transition to uh, Mayor Wilbur underway at this point, and is it going smoothly? It is. It is. Wilbur and Brenneth Paltrow get along very, very well. <laughs> so, so the handoff will be okay. <laughs> yeah, it'll be fine. Well, we we'll have an inauguration in January. Uh, 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 say it again. We'll have an inauguration. Oh, all right. So you invite uh, people uh, to that, I guess. Although, again, this year <laughs> we talk about it. Yeah. The time it, we're it, in. It'll be a small one. <laughs> yeah, gotcha. Thank you so much, Bobby. We appreciate it and uh, sharing the fun with all of us uh, here that you have up in Rabbit Hash with the big mayor's election. And uh, thank you for being on. And we do want to thank you for being with us here on WKYT. Remind you that, of course, as uh, events move forward, we will keep you up to date uh, on all of the angles regarding campaign 2020. That is Kentucky Newsmakers. We'll see you bright and early this week on WKYT this morning and hope you make it a good week ahead.